In uh, psychoanalysis, this is an odd way to start a sermon, I know. <laughs> there is a concept, though, that I think we encounter here in Hebrews, and that, that it, it is a concept having to do with time. Uh, that what they, uh, especially in a Lacanian psychoanalysis, is that the reason that people uh, are mentally ill or sick is they are stuck in the past. And the past is infecting their present. And it's destroying their lives. And a part of analysis then is to attempt to get people to what they call a future anterior perspective. That is that you project into the future a different future and it changes up the past so that you can live differently in the present. This is a concept whose history comes directly from scripture. Actually, it comes through Soren Kierkegaard and through Heidegger and then it's picked up by uh, various psychoanalysts. But the idea is that uh, in this future anterior perspective that you can begin to have a different immediate experience of the world. And so Hebrews is telling us to change up our time experience, our immediate experience, our experience of, of the present. Let me read just a section and of course, what he's talking about in chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, and clear over into chapter 4, I'm not going to read all that, I'll just read a section of it, is this Sabbath rest, and he's calling us to enter into this new experience. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says in verse 7, seven today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. And I, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so he's going to use language of today, of now, of entering in the rest. And of course he's referencing the Sabbath rest, the day in which God rested. So I think that one of the key points of Christianity that the writer of Hebrews is conveying has to do with our experience of time. Um, and so uh, the specific point that we experience in time in what the writer calls this redemptive time, this today time, this Sabbath rest time. Um, and so today what I want to do is just talk a little bit of what that might look like. I always feel like I'm preaching more than I know and Today, I'm, I'm definitely doing that. That is, I'm pointing to something here that I think there's an experience to be had here that we need to cultivate in our lives and in ourselves. So maybe the proper way to do this, to, uh, or to say this, is that the heart of our experience is really our experience of the now, of the immediate moment. And this is what is to get changed up in our understanding of Christianity. Uh, and maybe we could, I, you know, I said in Sunday school, maybe we could refer to it as leisure time. 
If we mean by leisure time relief from what the writer is going to describe as death in the wilderness. Relief from what he calls the fear of death. Relief from the heavy burden of sin and death. He's describing a departure from a life controlled by that fear. Now, he will later warn that our God is a consuming fire. But throughout there is the departure from the sort of fear that is a kind of futility, a kind of false fear, and a recognition of realizing who God is. And so the way that our lives are changed up is through passage into today. And we all recognize this, this capacity to live in the moment. Having taught, you know, in, uh, for many years, I, 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 you can just look at people and recognize they ain't there with you in the moment. They're somewhere else. Uh, their bodies have come to class today, but the, their minds are elsewhere. And of course, many times that's the way we live our lives. We're never there. Well, our bodies show up, but we're not there in the moment. And I think that part of what it means to don't fail to enter in uh, to today, to enter into this rest. Part of the controversies that Jesus had in the Gospels were time controversies. Controversies over what could and could not be done on the Sabbath. And Jesus would heal, he would redeem, he would make whole. He tended uh, to connect this sort of activity with what he's going to call, you know, it's redemption. He's saying that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And of course the Sabbath controversies are really, they're so important, they're so key, because they're actually about the purposes of the temple, the purposes of of Judaism are found in the Sabbath and I think ultimately the purposes of creation are found in the Sabbath rest of God. The purpose of everything is going to be worked out in this special Sabbath time. You know Genesis provides the first reference to Sabbath and I think we misunderstand Genesis if we think it's describing the the, the, simply the material origins of the universe. That's not what Genesis is doing. Genesis is giving us the meaning of the universe, the, the organization and function of the cosmos as it is organized and made functional by God for humankind. The seventh day is the way in which this is summed up. Jesus has come to restore creation's purpose that has been thwarted by sin. So the great now of the gospel is this fresh reality for which the Sabbath is the signpost. There is, you know, even the rabbinic explanation of Genesis 2.2 is that it constituted what they would call a messianic time. The rabbis recognized that it would be in the Sabbath that time that the Messiah would come. And of course, Saturday, Messianic time, is not just another day homogenous to others, but it is the innermost disjointedness within time, through which one might, be, by a, this is uh, Giorgio Agamben, he says, by a hair's breadth, we might grasp time 
and accomplish it. The Augenblink of Kierkegaard or of Heidegger, in which we see the future coming to us in the present and everything is changed up. In that moment, our lives are changed up. Or to state it simply, the seventh day, experience contains the, t- the telos, the purpose of life. So the seventh day, we often say, oh, well, yeah, God was tired. You know, he had to rest up on that seventh day, kind of huffing and puffing. Uh, but it's the seventh day that is the most important uh, in the creation. This is, um, I think, by to assign it some sort of material, you know, the, the Genesis count, we're, we're, it's a very materialistic notion that Genesis is describing material origins. Uh, that may be partly included, but Genesis is describing uh, not materialistic origins, but the purposes of the cosmos, the meaning of creation. Uh, that we can see the seventh day then uh, in the light of the idea that God is creating a fit dwelling place in which he can come and dwell with human beings. Uh, Encourage one another. Day after day, the writer of Hebrews describes it, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin can be equated with missing the purposes of the Sabbath. Sin can be equated with corrupting the very purposes of the cosmos. John Walton, who teaches at uh, Wheaton, has described this. He says, in the ancient world, the rest of the gods was always in a temple. In fact, temples were built with the purpose of deity resting in them. The rest of the gods often involved their uh, taking control of the cosmos. And so a god could rest because order had been achieved and everything was now ready to run smoothly. Deities ran the cosmos from their temples when stability had been assured. The regular daily business could be carried out without interruption. The dedication of the temple, of the tabernacle, was a seven-day period. We have six days, and on the seventh day, God was installed in the temple. And so when it says that God rested on the seventh day, there is the sense that the temple is a kind of microcosmos of you know what is happening in Genesis. Uh, that the origins, the functional origins, not the material origins, are being portrayed even in the temple. And this would be, a, uh, you know, transparent, I think, to uh, early Jews that uh, that really the temple was a typical, uh, a functional uh, uh, picture of the purposes of the world. And so when Jesus walks into the temple and he says, you know, he's that declaring that I am the temple, you know, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What he's saying is the Lord has come to his temple. The purposes of creation are being worked out. Here is the seventh day being realized and the seventh day Sabbath controversies are about then recognizing the true purposes of creation in the Messiah. We've entered into messianic time. 
Um, the world is now being made truly functional. So Jesus declares himself Lord of the Sabbath. He heals. He makes the blind see. He redeems on the Sabbath because that is the purpose of this special redemptive time. In fact, we could say that's what the purposes of history are. That God ceases creation in order to do the work of the Sabbath. Jesus says, my father is working now and so am I. What are they working at? Well, it's this Sabbath redemptive activity. The Christian is to enter into this rest of God, into this temple. And so this is the reason it's so important. To fail to enter in is on the order of failing to enter the promised land. It's failing to enter the true purposes for which the world was made and for which you were made. It's failing to find redemption. The writer says he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day and God rested. He's tying it back to Genesis. And on the seventh day, and again, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. We could say that disobedience is equated with failing to enter into this redemptive activity. He again fixes a certain day today, saying, through David, after so long a time, just as had been said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then he concludes in verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with, the, with confidence to the throne of grace. He's describing the temple. He's describing entering into the Holy of Holies and approaching the very presence of God so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need as Paul puts it don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated to by the present age be transformed uh, with the renewing of your minds Uh, this only makes sense if the age to come you know this is what's happening in, in throughout the New Testament the eschatological age the age is present now it's come A new time has dawned. Paul says in Ephesians, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Ephesians 3.10, The manifold wisdom of God has been made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That now is the day. He says, In the favorable time in Isaiah, I have answered you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. And I will keep you and give you a covenant of the people to inherit from the desolate heritages. We've tasted, the writer of Hebrews says, the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. We're right now experiencing this eschatological age. So Hebrews assumes that material reality and material, you know, our present time, our ordinary time, is participating in eternity itself uh, without absorbing. You know, it's not that heaven is here completely. It is a process. Jesus has entered into the Holy of Holies and he offers his own body, his own blood, his own materiality. 
as a sufficient sacrifice. Heaven and earth intersect in this sacred time called Sabbath, always now, and in a sacred place made available continually in the body of Christ. So we might say that the equivalent, you know, in Paul for Sabbath might be the resurrection life. The resurrection, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. He says, I know him and the power of his resurrection. Not that he's already died, Paul, and been raised, but we can begin to live this alternative life now. Being conformed to his death that we might obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says in Philippians, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. I think this is the, you know, again, this image. It's not that we do away uh, with, with struggle or work or activity, but that we lay hold of a different activity. I am laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, But one thing, I forget what lies behind, and I reach forward to what lies ahead. Here is the Augenblink. Here is the uh, future anterior perspective. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. The future is invading the present, and our past is changed up, and there's a completely different experience. So the interval between the Messiah's resurrection and his arrival characterizes this in-between present time. We can see the whole of history, cosmic history, human history, Israel's history, come together uh, to the point, in the point of the Messiah, generating this new temporality. When the time had fully come, he says in Galatians, he talks about the fullness of time (coughs) in Ephesians. This is the time when the ancient prophecies are being fulfilled. Paul had the communities he's establishing. Those who, who, he says, upon whom the ends of the ages have now come. Messiah people, he says, are daytime people in 1 Thessalonians. Do this knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, he says in Romans. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. The night is almost gone. You know, this is the picture in John. That the darkness is passing and the light is overtaking the darkness. Paul says the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day. Romans 11. So just as we now have the temple continually available to us. So to the Sabbath and the promised rest are one that we can enter into now. We can lay down our burdens. We can uh, take up this new redemptive time uh, in which everything is coming to a head in the Messiah. Working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is Paul in 2 Corinthians quoting Isaiah 49. So Isaiah's promise has come true. 
All God's promises find their yes, he says, in the Messiah. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her needy with bread. Her priests also I clothe with salvation, and her godly ones will sing for joy. There I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame. And of course the promise is that we will not be put to shame. So it is clear this rest forever. It does not mean simply ceasing from labor, but it is the new base of operations. Jesus is now ruling the world. This is the Sabbath time. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. The picture is of a cosmic dwelling place for God. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I might rest? There is no human temple built by human hands in which God can rest. But the writer of Hebrews is saying that the cosmos is built by the hand of God as a temple, a fit dwelling place. He has put all things into subjection under his feet. And he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body The fullness of him who fills all in all. Picture Jesus as the Alpha and Omega. Here is, you know, uh, the true Vitruvian man. The one who holds all things together. He put all things in subjection, Paul says. So encourage one another day after day in Hebrews as long as it is called today. Through mutual encouragement, we can enter into this new messianic time. In spite of of the fact, the writer says, you're faced still with this present evil age and all that entails. So the Jews thought the temple and the Sabbath, you know, they say, oh, that's fine. It's it's doing fine. And so there's these two understandings of the Sabbath that we see coming into conflict. And... Jesus is then changing this up. The man, he, and John says, went away he, that, that Jesus had healed. He told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And this is the reason the Jews, he made him well on the Sabbath. He was doing these things on the Sabbath. And for this reason, the Jews began to persecute him and eventually kill him. What is the work of Jesus? You know, he says, I'm working, my father is working. What is the work of Jesus? The, you know, the idea the Lord has come to his temple. Well, we are his temple. Jesus says salvation is of the Jews. And Jesus identifies himself as a Jew and the fullness of Judaism. But what's the difference between Jesus' understanding and the Jews' understanding? We might say, and this is my concluding point here. We might say it has to do with the role of Moses, life in the law versus life in in Christ. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. He says in John, the one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. If you believe Moses, 
you would believe me for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The Jews have misunderstood their law. They imagine that life is to be found in the temple. They've imagined that in some way the sacrifices are actually going to overcome alienation, sin and evil through the Jewish temple, the Jewish law, the Jewish socio-political order. But these things in fact emphasize the alienation. Jesus' confrontation with the Jews uh, does not aggravate the problem, it exposes the problem. This is what Paul says about the law. The law does not give life. The law is a pointer to sin. But in Christ, the church is Israel today. Let me set up three categories in a kind of concluding thought. That we can think of the time of all... I'm going to do the whole Bible here as a conclusion. Uh, there, there are three things, three categories that come together. You know, in the plagues, we have the Egyptians are undone. And in the wilderness, and, uh, the, the Jews then are rescued by the plagues on the Egyptians. You know, the water is made undrinkable. And then Moses turn, strikes the rock. And Jesus turns the, the water at Cana from, into drinkable water. He, uh, Jesus turns the water into wine. He describes himself as the true living water. What's happening in these pictures, in this miraculous pictures, is the summation of history in terms of a Jewish understanding. The frogs are replaced by manna and quail, and Jesus is the bread of life. Here is the true sustenance. The locusts and flies are animals that kill. You know, Moses holds up the the snake on the stick. He drives away the bronze with, with the bronze snake, and Jesus says, you know, here, it, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself, and the great serpent will be cast away. He's fulfilling then the curse that was put on Egypt, rescued by Israel, but not truly rescued. Here is the true rescue. The drowning in the Red Sea. You know, the Jews pass through the Red Sea. Jesus walks on water, and all will pass through a watery grave. This is what Peter describes in in baptism. There's the captivity in darkness, the land of Egypt, and then the Jews have the pillar of fire. They're made blind, and then Jesus describes himself as the light of the world. We could describe the whole system as one of Passover. From Passover, you know, the Egyptians firstborn are, are struck dead, The Jews are rescued, but of course Jesus describes himself as the true Passover. John says, here is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. We've entered into the true redemptive time in which history's purposes are fulfilled. Let's sing our hymn of invitation.